Hi, Scott. You opened the room. Thank you. <laughs> good morning. Good oh, morning. Not, not morning, your time. Uh, yeah. Could you do me a quick favor so I can set up everything? Um, if you click on my profile picture, um, oh. on the bottom, you should have an option to make me a moderator. Okay. Because if you you muted me instead. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm sorry. I'm that, following you. But uh, I, where's the monitor moderator button? So you click on my profile, and then my yeah. on the bottom there should be view for profile. Probably move to audience, and then make moderator or something. So I'm Should on the we... desktop um, uh, again, which just updated, but um, there's three okay, buttons. Okay, on the desktop. Can you click on the desktop on my profile picture? Yeah, I open your profile. It says I'm following. Uh, and then, and then there's no button option, like make moderator. The there's a three buttons. Um, let me see. If not, I'll just close. Uh, could you close the room and then I'll open it up again? That would be maybe the. Okay, so just how do I. <clears throat> On the three buttons, leave. Uh -huh. uh, there should be an option end room. Oh, I can end the room. Okay, I'll open it up again. It should be the same link. Okay. If that's okay. okay. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, I see the button. Actually, it's right oh, you next see? to your in the main screen. Make moderator. Are you sure? Yeah. Yes, I'm sure. Perfect. Thank you. Okay. Good. Okay. So uh, sorry again, and then uh, don't be confused if you see now um, like um, notifications. People join the room. People mm -hmm. have um, you know raising the hands. I'll take care of it. So okay. don't worry about that. Uh, Sounds good. And um, I'll put up your. The first thing I'm doing now is putting up your presentation and then so the, the you working so people there. click on it and load it on their device yeah do you see it now there should be a link uh, yeah google drive mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. exactly so yeah people can now click on it and then uh we have still like seven minutes or so. So yeah. in the meantime, I'll add like topics and share on Twitter that we are starting, invite people. Hi, everyone. Great. Feel free to share the room with people you think that might be interested. And thank you so much, Scott. Yeah, that's true. Um, uh, OK. So how's your day going? Everything? Oh, good, good. Yeah, I was just I was trying to get the time zone right. I'm in mountain time, so I'm like, I didn't want to, because I, I messed up our earlier meeting, but not, I didn't want to mess up this time in our time. But yeah. And do they ask questions at the end or during? It's really your choice. Okay. Yeah, either way is fine. Um, so do you like those topics? It's pretty limited. The topics like the assign clean technology engineering, I can change them. There, you know, there would be an option probably climate change or something like that. Yeah. Um, what else? Uh, maybe. It's pretty limiting. Like oh, yeah. there's like, for example, no chemistry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I was gonna say. Chemistry. <laughs> uh, 
hydrogen? Yeah, there's no. There's no hydrogen. So if you click on the topics, like you can, you can check, like, oh, okay. if you click on the topics, then it pops up. Um, and then you can search topics. Let's put hydrogen. No. Um, chemistry is not, but there's like clean energy, um, like clean technology, climate change, climate, things like that, but. Mm -hmm. Oh, science management for the whole. <clears throat> okay. And I shared the paper in the chat, everyone. If people want to look at the paper, you should be able to access it. And um, yeah, and on top is the presentation. Feel free in the meantime to check it out. Um, we will start in around five minutes. So uh, yeah, will be a really interesting talk. And uh, really looking forward to the discussion. I'm glad my cough is over. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I had last week yeah. such a bad cough, like yeah, I, I had to mute trip, myself. Yeah. <laughs> voices hanging in yeah oh oh you had the cold too i think yeah i got a sore throat but uh, yeah it was so embarrassing i didn't know it was so weird um when i spoke in portuguese with my son in between i was fine but as soon as i started talking in english with the speaker i couldn't stop coughing Maybe I forced my voice somehow in English. I don't know. What that... <laughs> Portuguese just flows better, I guess. Yes, I, I don't know. It was really kind of because I would have canceled if I realized how bad it was, but I didn't. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, uh, but gladly then a friend of like Serena, she joined and she took over. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, hi, uh, Hi, how are you? This, I am, this is an excellent topic, and energy is an area of my interest. Great. It's an excellent topic. And that's the future, especially now, uh, talking yeah. about the energy crisis. Yeah. Green hydrogen is the source of energy for the future. Yeah, I agree. And uh, we start in around two minutes. Usually, people keep joining, like it, the like the ten minutes after the official starting time. Usually, people come in. Um, so, 
but you know we have all the resources the paper was shared on twitter so people had the opportunity to to read up on it and um, and join whenever they can join it's always difficult to make a time that most people can join right. um it's really impossible <laughs> because yeah. we really yeah we really have friends like in asia um europe uh, australia like katie's in australia and you know and here in the us and <laughs> everyone has different schedules but that's good about the recordings. So. Yeah, you archive it. Yeah, and the cool thing, I don't know if I told you in the pre-meeting, the cool thing about the recordings here is that the links and the presentation and so on, they stay active. So if you replay it, it's really a replay on Clubhouse. The only thing you can do is ask questions. But other than that, it's pretty much the same experience. So. That's why I kind of like this here. And yeah, no video. I hate the Zoom videos. Yeah, I put a couple movies in and I was like, oh, it's not going to work. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you have links to videos, I can I can share them if you want to. Like. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's fine. It's, the movies are on the, with the paper, but that's not going to access it here. But it's, it's, it'll be fine with it. Okay. And yeah, those type of videos, that is better, but I mean, like having people on video, like, I don't know, I live in New York City, there's with three kids, there's really no spot where I have like, a presentable. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> it sounds worse than it is. <laughs> you know <laughs> okay i think we can start <laughs> should i talk too much <laughs> okay um welcome everyone to science society and of course a special welcome to you scott um and uh we are so grateful that you came here you made the clubhouse account and everything went through all these hurdles uh to come here it's a great honor and before we start let me um Give the audience a short introduction so that they can yeah know a little bit about you uh dr scott oliver is a professor of material chemistry at the university of california in santa cruz and he did his bachelor and phd at the university of toronto <clears throat> and there he worked on nanoporous and mesolamellar um, aluminous phosphates under the supervision of Professor Geoffrey Olsen. And after that, he uh, went to Harvard University where he was a postdoc, an NSERC postdoctoral fellow in the um, lab of Professor George Whitesides, focusing on 3D mesoscale self-assembly. After that, he joined Binghamton University I hope I said that right, um, as um, an assistant professor. Um, and then in 2004, he um, went to uh, UC Santa Cruz, where he's now having his own group. And um, 
where um, the lab focuses on developing materials that selectively remove pollutants from water. And um, other projects include nano and mesoporous catalyst, energetic material, plastics degradation, and hydrogen gener generation. Um, and yeah, he published over a hundred papers. Uh, his group is very interdisciplinary um, and he uses a wide uh, range of solid states and liquid based characterization techniques. Um, and um, yeah, as I said, it's a great honor having you here. And we usually start by asking a few interview questions, if that's okay with you. Yeah, sounds good. Perfect. Um, so when you um, think back, like what, what drove you to go into science? Was it something you always wanted to do like since a kid or um, was there maybe a book or a class you took that kind of um, sparked the interest in becoming a scientist? Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much and thank you for the invite. Um, I, I'd say it must have been high school because that's when science got interesting and um, physics especially I found interesting um, and chemistry and so you know that and I'm I'm a kid of the 70s so I grew up with um, you know astronomy books and uh, Apollo um, model kit and stuff like that so it's like that you know got me interested too um, and then when I went to undergrad um, physics physics just seemed like a killer series um, but, and I chose chemistry and uh, yeah I'm glad I did yeah that's interesting um, um, that you I thought the same thing of physics <laughs> I was really interested in physics but I was kind of scared yeah, yeah, <laughs> so I went into biology <laughs> um, but um, yeah and then how did you come up to choose this field, um, you know, where you, where your research is focused on now. Could you bring yeah. us there? Thank you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, with, so when I got into chemistry, um, in my program in senior year, you, you choose which electives it's all electives by then. Uh, this was at Toronto. So, um, I chose, I mean, I always tell my classes like organic chemistry, I found too much memorization physical chemistry too much, uh, too abstract, but inorganic was just right. And colleagues and colleagues don't like that line. But anyway, um, yeah, so inorganic analytical chemistry is what interested me most. And then um, I joined the group at Toronto for my PhD on, on zeolites and nanoporous materials and got really interested in that. So I haven't left that area. But in terms of hydrogen generation, I got a story about that um, that I can share later. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. Uh, yeah, what's yeah. the story behind this project? Thank it, you. Yeah, so it's pretty interesting that um, so I have an organic chemistry colleague who doesn't do the, you know the inorganic materials characterization type methods. So he his student actually discovered this this process that I'm going to describe, and he was working. And don't do this at home for the audience. Like he was working at home, uh, he was a chemistry major, not in a lab yet, and 
playing around with gallium and aluminum and made this discovery. I mean, the reaction's been known for 50 years, but he found the ratio to be really important, and I'll talk about that. But anyway, he in his kitchen, and so he, he got some gallium and aluminum, you know, playing around with it, liquid, and in your hands it melts, and um, went to wash, you know, have some gray matter on his hands and went to wash it off and got burned. So it caused this reaction that I'm going to show. And so that's how the discovery happened. He came into the building with uh, bandages. And my colleague, Bhaktan Singram, who's a co-corresponding co author on the paper, um, said what happened and had him explain and said, okay, come in the lab and we'll, we'll study this, you know, in a controlled environment. And, you know, they needed someone to, to help with the materials part. So that's how it came to be. Yeah, that's interesting. So reach out to, you know, the student from us. Yeah, can be made sometimes. Uh, and it's Isai Lopez is the uh, is a co-author. He's the second author on the paper. He's the the one that discovered it. Yeah, and it's really great that um, yeah that you get supported the student in this way it doesn't always happen so right, right. Um, i think that's really wonderful and um yeah that's a way to support young scientists um which is you know not always the case <laughs> yeah they don't all get labs so it's yeah harder all oh, time. yeah exactly so um yeah that's a that's a really great story thank you and um yeah now uh everyone has access to the presentation on top please feel free to click on it um and scott the stage is yours um and uh, don't worry about the chat or raising hands i'll take care of it for you to read out their questions um when they come up and uh, yeah thank you thank you yeah so yeah, jump in anytime with questions um, as you feel um, warranted, and or we can read them all at the end. So I'm gonna I just clicked on my um, uh, PDF, and so this format is interesting. I, I have kind of a read along uh, format when I was young. Um, so I'm on slide one, and I've never numbered slides before, but I added those in for necessity. Um, so. Uh, and then, oh yeah, I didn't put the, my university down here because this research is sort of spinning off. We have a patent um, that's about to be licensed to Green Hydrogen LLC. So I'm one of the co-founders of that company. And so I'm speaking from that perspective or angle here. Okay. Um, yeah, so I gave the background on, on how this came to be studied and um, I'm gonna jump to slide two. So the sound effect, remember old read-along books? <laughs> Next slide. Um, so slide two, um, just an outline. Um, we use um, liquid metal as the reaction as a reaction medium. Um, you know, rather than doing reactions in gas phase or you know, solutions, the, the gallium is the reaction medium. And what you put in is an amphoteric metal, and I'll come back to that later. A metal that can uh, undergo both an acidic or cause of both an acidic and a basic reaction, such as aluminum. And uh, 
I teach that topic in inorganic chemistry, so it's nice to see it come back here uh, in this study. Um, and I'll show you it forms nanoparticles. It dissolves into the gallium. Gallium melts at about 30 Celsius. So you need just a little bit of heat, even just holding it in your hand. Um, and the aluminum goes in. And if you have the right ratio, uh, you just add water, as the old expression is. Um, and H2 comes off so <clears throat> very rapidly, so within minutes, um, all the way almost to quantitative uh, stoichiometric amounts. And what's nice about this is no CO2 involved whatsoever. Um, you know the energy that we're we're making use of the aluminum zero, the aluminum metal that underwent electrolysis from you know aluminum oxide, and I'll get to this later. Um, the energy that's stored in the aluminum can or foil. Um, and it goes to back to aluminum three, and we, we use that energy, and that's what's causing this reaction. Um, and so we don't need any heat input, well, just a tiny bit. Um, we don't need any electrical source, no other materials, catalysts, uh, no solar cell materials, lithium batteries, none of those. Um, we don't need chemicals such as base or acid to change the pH. It's just you just put in water. I'll talk about different sources of water and the reaction goes spontaneously uh, with no CO2 involved at all. Um, going to slide three, so just some background here on, on what's, about half of the hydrogen is from steam reformation, so um, reforming our fossil fuels. Um, so methane, uh, this is a high pressure, high temperature reaction, requires catalysts, and you get um, H2, as well as carbon monoxide. So it, this is really endothermic, requires high, high temperature and pressure to do that. And the carbon monoxide uh, undergoes further reaction to form CO2. So this is a lot of CO2 formed. You know, it's, it's um, kind of amazing that this, this is an energy source, a source of hydrogen. It's, it's consumes so much power and produces so much CO2, but um, that's about half. Um, and electrolysis comes to students' minds, but that's only a small percentage. Um, it's so it, it consumes a lot of electricity to split that water. Oxygen evolution reaction being the late great great limiting step, um, releasing oxygen and hydrogen evolution. If you have hydrogen, you you need electricity, and I'll I'll go over that a little bit more later. So what we're doing is neither of those. Um, we are doing um, metal water reaction. So there's the there's the overall reaction there. Um, all of the aluminum becomes aluminum oxide, and all the water that is involved in the reaction, we do need some water. Uh, the oxygen, instead of splitting to make O2 gas, it goes onto the aluminum to make aluminum oxide, as I'll show you. So for each gram, theoretically, we get um, over a liter of hydrogen uh, for each gram of aluminum that's used. So going to, um, I'm so used to having a pointer too, <laughs> but. Um, Going to slide four. Yes, that was slide three. Slide four, just an overview of this water splitting reaction. Um, this is actual redox. And um, that is not what we're doing. We're, well, you know, water you could think of as the H plus and O2 minus. So there is, in that sense, redox. But at any rate, um, this, this one forms oxygen one oxygen, two, two hydrogens, water splitting. Um, and you need a power source. It's as you see on the redox potentials on the right, 
it is an electrolytic reaction. You need to supply electricity to get that to go. Um, and the bottom left is just the reverse process. <clears throat> um, if once you have hydrogen, you can run that through a fuel cell and um, carry a load, you know, of whatever um, device or vehicle you're using. And out comes water. So water actually gets regenerated there. If you could capture that, there's your water. But um, at any rate, so um, yeah, that's slide four. So slide five is just an overview of what we're doing. So we have liquid gallium in the center, and in principle, a given piece of gallium, be it small or large, can be used over and over again. So I mean, it's like a loop, catalytic loop kind of diagram. Um, and what we use is post-consumer aluminum. So, you know, if we were to get aluminum from the, the usual process, yes, that would be, there'd be more energy put in to make that aluminum than we would get out from the hydrogen. So we'd use post-consumer, as I'll talk about, foil or cans or pans. And you just put, add water, once it, what's it, alloys, you just add water and out comes, um, and this is all that comes out, aluminum oxide, um, which is useful as well, and hydrogen gas. So uh, you can use other metals. Mercury will, will do this as well. <clears throat> There's lots of YouTube videos out there, people playing with gallium, aluminum, mercury, aluminum. But that, you know, the, there's a toxic uh, aspect once. Mercury, it's metal is not toxic, but when it gets methylated, methyl, dimethylmercury, dibacteria, that's extremely toxic. Um, and other metals, you know, as liquid, you could do this kind of thing, but um, they are not cesium and uh, iridium is not, is not stable uh, in the presence of water. So um, that's just a general overall diagram. Um, you know, in principle, you can go around this circle infinite times, but the key question is how much gallium do we lose in going around the circle? And, and I'll, I'll get to that. Um, slide six, so this is an overview of the process. Like I said, the reaction of aluminum and gallium has been known since the 60s, but our, you know, what Isai did was he, being a chemist, he played around with the ratio of the gallium to aluminum and found that even though it's the aluminum that's making the hydrogen, less of it is key to have. So you have gallium rich, you have more gallium than aluminum, and that led to a very efficient reaction reasons I'll, I'll talk about shortly. Um, so it's gallium rich alloy and that was not studied in the literature or the patent literature or you know before. Um, and we, we add in some post-consumer aluminum and manually mix and that should be you know should be possible to automate that mechanically. Um, add any source of water, well any. Um, I'll, I'll show a few coming up. And then we just measure the H2 by um, displacement of um, water in a burette. It's a very basic setup that we had. Um, lots of time, uh, expertise in these kind of things. And then my expertise came in with the powder X-ray diffraction, <coughs> scanning electron microscopy, tunneling, um, tra uh, transmission electron microscopy, and so forth. And so we got, yeah, very efficient hydrogen generation, very fast. Um, in less than 15 minutes, it's mostly done, like on the order of 80-90%, um, and it sort of decelerates. Um, and what's happening here is that, you know, you can't just cut up 
aluminum foil and use the aluminum because the, of the um, native oxide layer from the, you know, the oxygen in the atmosphere renders the aluminum inert to this reaction. So once what's happening here is the aluminum dissolves into the gallium and I'll show you forms nanoparticles and the gallium keeps the unoxide uh, film from forming on those nanoparticles allowing this reaction to go. Um, another point is the um, <clears throat> we can make the alloy and it is indefinitely stable. So we did several months, you know, mix the alloy and then just keep it under an organic solvent um, such as kerosene. And, and then we used it after that amount of time. So indefinite, because we don't know if it's unstable at all over time, like years. <clears throat> uh, and there's the paper that um, Katarina Ed posted. And there's, I should say also, the movies didn't come through on the PDF. That was my miscalculation. But they are, if you have access to that journal, uh, American Chemical Society, then we posted um, five movies with the paper that you can see. One of them, one of the clips I was going to show here. <clears throat> okay, so slide seven. Um, that was slide six. Slide seven. Okay, so uh, let's start on the right side. Um, the, we went to the SEM which has an EDX mapping um, addition to it. And so on the top right is just the SEM to begin with. You see these islands. And when you do the elemental map, so you're looking at the x-rays for just aluminum, you can tell that those, those blobular areas are indeed aluminum. <coughs> and the rest of the, of the uh, medium is gallium. So um, that was... That was what we were hoping to see, and and you know the nanoparticles have some degree of polydispersity. They're not all the same size, but they are in the nano regime, meaning they're high surface area per gram, um, you know, leading to a very efficient reaction. Um, and so on the left um, is a bar graph where <clears throat> so the first author in the paper is Gabriella Ambercham, and she's She's now teaching at Reed College. Um, she tried, Bakhtan had her tried a whole bunch of um, different, as well as Isai. So Isai worked with uh, Gabriella, um, grad student Gabriella. And you can see the results here. The best results were gallium aluminum. Um, GS would be gallistan. So that's gallium indium tin um, alloy. Quite expensive. <coughs> that works, but not as well. Um, at different ratios, and then they also tried gallium, aluminum, indium, and so forth. So um, the best was gallium, aluminum, and further, well, I got another plot on the next slide. Um, let's go to slide eight <coughs> um, with the purple, whatever color it looks like on your device, uh, bars. So this shows the varying ratio of gallium to aluminum. So on the left, that was done already, one to two, and further to the left, one to three. So on the aluminum-rich side, there had been a lot of studies, um, even you know, uh, companies even um, trying to do a hydrogen uh, evolution at that kind of ratio. And it wasn't until <clears throat> SIE went to this uh, gallium-rich side that it remains a liquid, an alloy, just above room temperature, and so. They went and varied up to three to one. You know, there's a 
as you go to the right here, it's gallium, more gallium rich, which means it's more expensive in that sense. There's, uh, you have more gallium than aluminum. Uh, you also have less hydrogen generation per you know amount of alloy. But so it's converse. It's you know kind of counterintuitive that that you would get more hydrogen with less aluminum. But indeed, you know making that alloy is critical. Three to one seemed to be the best with a drop off. Although more studies remain to be done. Um, Three to one seemed to be the best, so that's what we used for all <coughs> the rest of the studies. Okay, slide number nine uh, is the bluish um, turquoise type bars, um, showing you how much hydrogen is coming off based on the amount of aluminum in there. Hundred percent would be you know getting as much hydrogen as you expected. So it's not 100, but you know it's up, up way up there, um, and you can just use tap water. So it does not have; it can be distilled water, deionized water, but it does not have to be. And um, so that was that was good to see. And ocean water works, and we did GC mass spec to make sure we're not um, evolving chlorine gas. So that's that's why you can't take ocean water and just um, electrolyze, you know, water split because you get chlorine gas formation. So if you were desperate, you know, and you didn't need that much hydrogen, or you know, you had some efficient process, you could use ocean water, but the <clears throat> the, the um, efficiency is much lower. And the reason for that is the chlorine um, likely forming aluminum chloride. That's such a stable uh, molecule. So uh, we actually had some rain in Santa Cruz when we were doing the study. So they they studied rainwater all about the same. Commercial beverages, so vitamin water that comes to mind, uh, they use Coca-Cola. So I, I would like to try beer myself. You know, you got a can of beer, there's your energy source, <laughs> there's your liquid source. Um, and then going to the right side of the, this plot, um, recycled gallium, so you can use it over that. And that is critical. If it was a one shot, you know, this would be dead in the water. It would be interesting, but not you know, applicable. Um, so th they went back, used it again, and they've gone multiple times uh, with that. And that is crucial to to make this, um, you know, economically viable. Aluminum from food receptacle, um, that one, I believe that was the aluminum can. I got another plot on the next slide. Um, th it was thicker aluminum. It didn't alloy as easily as a uh, soda can. Um, Oh, and then the last bar there is uh, recycled water. So you can use the water over again as well. And, uh, you know, that does not, it, there does seem to be a little bit of a drop. So um, fresh, you know, new water each time is uh, advantageous. Okay. Um, slide 10, just some more plots. I just threw this in there because it shows you, you know, you got a food wrapper, uh, you, you know, you've got a, you got cigarettes. <laughs> Back then you could take the aluminum, burn off the, uh, the paper. Uh, you've got a source of energy that, you know, we're, we're all throwing in uh, our recycling bins usually. But it, I should also say not all aluminum gets to recycling facilities. Um, but that shows banana bread wrapping they used. And the baking tray is quite thick. Um, so... This aluminum, I should say, has to be ground up a little bit. Um, so, coffee grinder is is what is what we used. Um, if you take aluminum too far, 
to a fine powder, it's, it's you know, it's very unstable, flammable. So you don't want to go too far on that grinding. Um, the lid worked better than the bottom of, you know, thickness issue there. But the can, the, the, the wall, uh, the aluminum from the wall of the can didn't work as well. And that's just because of the, um, there's not as much aluminum there. You got more paint um, and more of the interior coating. Um, you know, hopefully not BPA, um, but um, whatever the, the polymer material is there. So, and then on the green bars there, that just shows um, they took some, they we live by the ocean, so we got they got some ocean water, um, and then just made artificial, you know, similar concentration, got similar results. Uh, oh, and there's Coca Cola on the right. <clears throat> okay, um, so Katarina, do we have any? I'm about halfway, so I just want to make sure. Yeah, there were, I think you answered in the meantime most questions like where to get um, the resources from. And mm -hmm. one question is what can kill the activity of the LI or um, sulfur? Or kill the activity of the. Yeah, the like stuff. what can interrupt, I guess, is the question, uh, this reaction. Yeah, um, it, the mixing of, to get the alloy, to get those nanoparticles is important. Um, so for like, if you, if you dump the water in too fast, things like that, the reaction goes violent and the aluminum will drop out too quickly. You know, you want it to gradually keep making that hydrogen and gradually go to the aluminum oxide. So, you know, it's, um, but, you know, if you see those movies, it is pretty, uh, it, it goes. Um, but to get quantity, you know, to, <clears throat> you, you won't get as much hydrogen if you're not careful. Um, and yeah, the gallium doesn't have to be ultra pure, but a high purity helps for that. Just a little bit of that. Um, and, you know, we've only done small scale. That's another thing. That movie, the movies that are with that paper, uh, <clears throat> is the scale that we've done. We've done um, the company is looking at scale up, and um, can't talk about that. <laughs> but um, yeah. So um, thanks for that. Uh, so slide eleven is just some powder X-ray diffraction. So if you're not familiar, it's you know fingerprint method. You you put your powder into the X-ray machine. You look at the diffraction peaks. You get a fingerprint. And <clears throat> compared to known data, <clears throat> and hopefully my voice won't go here. Um, yeah. um, the green bars, the shaded regions, are from so gallium is on the bottom from the database, the PDF powder diffraction file of the ICDD um, that sells the X-ray powder X-ray data. Uh, but you can go to papers, you know, look up spectra, and. Um, you can see the pure gallium matches, so that's orthorhombic phase of gallium. And then <clears throat> with the alloy, gallium rich, you see more peaks in gallium, and gradually up towards the top, gallium to aluminum one to four is more aluminum rich, so not surprisingly, you see aluminum peaks um, for that mixture. So that's just some x-rays of the different alloys. Um, and on the right is, um, well, the bottom three are, are reference patterns from the PDF, and the top is experimental X-ray after the reaction's done. And so what we see is aluminum oxide. 
um, match him quite well to Illumina or Illuminamatsun. So that's just some extra I wanted to wanted to add in there. Slide twelve. Um, oops. <laughs> so when it gets PDF'd, you don't have a movie anymore. But that shows what happens on the movie is um, this is under uh, cyclohexane, and the alloys at the bottom, and they were dropping in aluminum. Sorry, they're dropping in. Uh, they made the alloy. It's on the bottom, uh, dropping water in the test tube, and it worked its way down the left side, and you know displaces the cyclohexane. And once it that big bigger drop, the reaction had already started, but a big drop hits, and it just takes off. And it's a nice movie to see. So it's just a screenshot there. Slide 13, um, another movie. So on the top right, we've got the um, remote control car, toy car that Bakhtan bought. I think it was a couple hundred bucks. It's a hydrogen-fueled remote control car. And so what you usually do is, is another example on the bottom right. You have a solar cell. Uh, you know, you have some water. The solar cell splits the water, makes hydrogen. The hydrogen feeds into the car. And so what they did is, instead of using that, they took some of the hydrogen from my lab, got it with difficulty into the, the valve, you know, the gasket of the car, and uh, got it to run. And they made, so there's a movie there that I can't show you. Um, and Bakhtan, being an organic chemist, you know, they love their organic reactions. And this one is kind of classic hydrogenation reaction that usually requires uh, pressure uh, some atmospheres of hydrogen and heat, and uh, Gabriella got the reaction to go at room temperature. So he did all kinds of different substrates, all kinds of different reactants, and um, got that double bond to be reduced to a single bond. So we know we're making hydrogen, and it's useful as well. Uh, this one, that reaction requires nickel acetate sodium borohydrate um, to catalyze the reaction. But the paper has a, has a lot of reactions um, involved. There's an organic uh, flavor to it later on. Okay, slide 14. Um, <clears throat> there have been um, you know theoretical studies of making uh, of using aluminum clusters um, to do this kind of reaction. So we this is what we believe is happening with the aluminum nanoparticles that are in the gallium. Um, it's amphoteric. So like the last bullet says, water converts to hydroxide at the Lewis acid sites and um, hydrogen at, supplies hydrogen atoms at the Lewis base sites. So, um, you know, the amphoteric nature of aluminum is being utilized here. And this group did um, the molecular simulation calculations on, on that reaction in the presence of aluminum clusters. Now, and I, I should say you can make aluminum clusters, you know, aluminum nanoparticles with much difficulty. <clears throat> you know, you need um, expensive instru instrumentation um, and high temperature, you know, to make that, to make aluminum nanoparticles. It, it, it has been done, but with our method, it's all room temp. So, so the so-called uh, Grotus mechanism is what we believe is happening on our alloy. Uh, slide 15. So I just went and did some back of the envelope calculations, as my inorganic professor would say. Uh, the top row is just giving an idea. This that's what we published the in yellow. So a gram of gallium, and the approximate cost it was about it's about four hundred dollars a kilogram for gallium at this point. Uh, that's what we published, 
And what the DOE talks about is a kilogram of hydrogen. You know, how much does a kilogram of hydrogen cost? And, you know, from basic intro chem, calculate that to be 500 moles and <clears throat> of H2. And, you know, to fill up a hydrogen car, for example, it's on the order of five kilograms. So they want to know the cost per kilogram. And that's the amount of alumina that is formed on the right column, um, aluminum oxide after the reaction's done. And so in orange, I highlighted, you know, you can scale up a few times, and that's kind of the limit that our campus will let us use. So, you know, we're chemists, but we're not allowed to use chemicals. <laughs> I always say that to my students. But, you know, large amounts of hydrogen, yeah, I could see, you know, we have to code as a company or something. How do you do it? Um, and so how many cycles would you need to to make a kilogram of hydrogen, well, from our paper, you'd have to do that reaction 70,000 times, which is unreasonable. Um, in principle, you can go around that circle 70,000 times, but uh, <clears throat> you know, you're going to, you got, there's gonna be tr loss, trace losses of gallium just by the virtue of its you know, solubility and things like that. So you get most of the gallium back. <clears throat> um, now on the bottom row, I put it in red because you wouldn't want to do this. In one shot, you could take uh, 65 kilograms of gallium. And I would love to ask Mr. Beast, you know, do you want to try this reaction? That'd be fun. Um, in one go, just dump all that water in there and, and watch. But so there's a middle ground, which is what I highlighted in green. There's a sort of common sense, reasonable middle ground where you have, you know, not too much money worth of gallium to begin with. And in principle, once you buy that gallium, you can keep reusing it. Um, about 100 bucks a gallium, uh, about half a pound. And you're going to make that much hydrogen. You'd have to cycle that many times, 273 times, to get to a, a kilogram of hydrogen. So even though one gram of gallium makes 1.25 liters of hydrogen, a kilogram of hydrogen at room, you know, one atmosphere is like, I calculate, you know, it, Hindenburg, like a tenth of the size of Hindenburg, that kind of volume. So you need to pressurize it um, just to have a, you know, a tank of, of that's what they have in the, in the hydrogen cars. And along the way, you're also getting, <clears throat> so I just plotted that, it's a straight line. Um, you're also getting a lot of aluminum oxide that I want to talk about next. So slide 16, um, this, it, using that green reasonable row in the middle, about $100 a gallium, uh, that's how much hydrogen you're going to get out. And that's how much aluminum on the, the plot on the right, you're going to get that much alumina. Did I say aluminum? Very big difference. Alumina. Um, you're going to be forming that, which is also useful. Uh, it's also a commodity product. So here's the overall reaction on the bottom left. Um, aluminum, water, going to alumina and hydrogen. Um, yes, you need a fair amount of aluminum to begin with. and that's why we want to use exclusively post-consumer um, aluminum. Um, nevertheless, the room, it's a room temperature reaction, well, just slightly above room temp, no press, additional pressure needed. Uh, you just mix these together. And just as a reminder, steam reforming a methane, there's the reactions for that. You get a lot of CO2 coming out overall. And um, this doesn't actually do it justice. It, it, there's catalysts that are needed, um, tens of atmospheres of pressure, 
900 Celsius is typical. Um, yeah, so I would say no, nobody's been able to make hydrogen the way we have, you know, at the steam temperature um, conditions. Okay, <clears throat> slide 17, I just want to emphasize that there's many uses of alumina. Now, aluminum in the first place, you know, abundant, sort of high natural abundance, very safe, um, as long as you don't go too fine of a powder, and efficiency. So each gram, it's a nice uh, ideal gas equation calculation there that SIE did. And uh, I can't, I teach intro chem sometimes. I've taught it a couple times. If I ever teach it again, I'll put something like that on there for them. But um, anyways, at any rate. Uh, and then alumina, the aluminum oxide, <coughs> is very useful. There's many uses for aluminum oxide, such as catalysis, um, doing organic conversions or trapping H2S gas um, into a solid sulfur. <coughs> that's, a, that's a big use of aluminum oxide. Many more uses. Uh, removing water from gas streams. Um, it's used in all kinds of industries. Um, so they buy aluminum oxide. So have a possible um, commodity product from our, you know, that's all we get. We get hydrogen, we get alumina, and the gallium comes back. Uh, I just put some other examples of applications there at the bottom. <coughs> okay, so basically what we would, we've, in principle, if this can be scaled up to where we want, we've kind of made this process partially um, unnecessary. Bayer process is extremely, you know, polluting, energy consuming. You mine bauxite out of the ground, which is a mixture of uh, metal oxides. About half of it is aluminum oxide. And you solubilize it with base, so that's the cost there. Um, and you filter, and out comes red mud. I got a slide of that on the next slide. Um, you get, you know, you solubilize it, and then you crystallize it with seeds. This whole process is multi step. Mining is, you know, when you think of mining, it's inherently um, polluting. Um, so on slide 19, I just got a picture. I put a picture of uh, a red mud, <laughs> um, you know, the, the pollution that comes out of that bare process. And for each ton of aluminum oxide that you get in the end, you get one and a half tons of this stuff. And, you know, the red is from the iron oxide, and uh, it's also high alkalinity, which is... Uh, you know, not environmentally friendly either. So it's incredibly polluting. So we could provide aluminum oxide, you know, without having to do all that uh, mining. And then there's the last couple slides here. Um, I'll just mention on slide 20, the uh, getting from alumina to aluminum is energy consuming. Um, it's high temperature. It requires electricity. So much so that the, like, there's a photo, there's a plant in, in, in India that has a nuclear power plant right there to supply the electricity. It's staggering how much energy that takes to get to aluminum metal. Um, and then I just put in, you know, this is CO2 uh, releasing. Uh, fluorocarbons come out as well. Um, although not if you have a nuclear power plant um, to run that, but uh, uranium mining is a whole other uh, polluting process. But that gives you the market, you know, 41 million tons a year. Um, if you did that, but that will all that requires a, almost a tera, 
towards a trillion uh, kilowatt hours each year. So, post-consumed within women is what we'd like to do. Um, and then slide 21 shows just the uses of hydrogen. The pressure, like, was before the um, seminar started that, yeah, there's a lot of, that is the future. Um, you know, getting clean sources, so people want, you know, to use solar cells, but that is also um, environmentally damaging and has limited lifetime. But the hydrogen applications are shown on the right. It's quite staggering. You know, the amount of news articles coming out now and plans by companies to make vehicle uh, lines, trucks, trains, hydrogen trains uh, prototype is, is big and, and, you know, coming up later in this, this decade. Uh, and so there's a lot of pressure from above, especially in California. And then many states have locked their actions to California, be that good or bad. Um, will follow the same action to go hydrogen. So, um, oh, and one thing about the uses of hydrogen, um, one of the big ones is ammonia. So the Born-Haber process to make ammonia for um, fertilizer to get enough food. So, you know, that's, that's an, also a late 1800s process and still uh, in use today. But nitrogen comes from the air, but you need hydrogen for that. And uh, with the so-called nitrogen caps we're seeing on food production is quite, um, uh, this is going to, pressure to make more hydrogen is just going to keep increasing. Slide 22, I just put in, you know, there's different colors of carb of uh, hydrogen uh, from gray, straight from um, fossil fuel, or from methane, rather, uh, for gray hydrogen. You can also make it from fossil fuel, and that's part of the puzzle. Um, if you capture the CO2 coming off a so-called blue hydrogen, uh, <coughs> And green hydrogen is uh, so not zero carbon; it's low carbon. So I would say our our process, <clears throat> you know, if you have the aluminum, it is zero carbon. So I just wanted to make that point. And then finally, just a summary slide, um, slide twenty three. Don't take these numbers too seriously. I just <clears throat> quickly did searches on USGS and places, but on the bottom center is our circle that we go around, and uh, we use the gallium. Um, yeah, actually, 99.99% gallium is only $200 a kilogram. The more nines, the higher the price. <clears throat> and we can use that, that type of purity. And on the right shows, you know, all that comes out from this is gallium goes back in. Hydrogen, we could, you know, have trucks pick up. Um, same with the alumina. But in terms of the hydrogen, what we're looking at, green hydrogen is on demand, you know, generation hydrogen where it's needed at a filling station, for example, for hydrogen cars at the scale that's needed. <clears throat> so industry needs more hydrogen, they have larger units, that kind of thing. So no transportation needed. We just set up our, you know, our modules, our reactions on site. Um, oh, and yeah, alumina is also highly useful. With higher, more nines there, the more pure it is, the more possible price you can get out of it. Um, in principle. And then just one last thing, the Hull-Harut process <clears throat> to go from aluminum to aluminum, the other, the other reaction, direction is thermite reaction. So for example, you know, melting uh, iron, you know, like, uh, to make railroads, for example. Anyway, um, I think I'll stop there. I went past my uh, planned half hour, but as usual. 
Well, thank you, Scott, so much for um, for this presentation and for explaining this um, reaction and um, where to get the resources from and what the costs are. Uh, that's really, you know, you covered really everything. <laughs> it's so um, it's uh, so amazing, and you mentioned that you uh, created a company to scale this reaction up. So. Do you think by scaling that the price will um, go down and, you know, what would be the ideal situation to scale this up? Like, what would you need um, yeah. and where would you start? Yeah, we might, it might not need like economy of scale type of thing, like because the reaction just goes that, you know, if the Illumina can be sold for a good price, then that should drive the whole thing. Um, in that you know, hydrogen <clears throat> DOE has this uh, hydrogen shot, one dollar a kilogram. You know, we might be able to reach that. Um, the other, on the other hand, if we start using a lot of aluminum, <laughs> then you know, that'll go up in price. Um, gallium can go up in price, but um, you know, we're hopeful that we have seen no limit on scalability yet. So, um, yeah, we'll see. Going to be interesting. Yeah, and um, uh, where so you can get aluminum from different sources, right? Even recycled one would th mm -hmm. would that be um, possible? Yep. Yes, right. Yep. So that's that's a really ideal situation, I think, because you know aluminum to like mine the the you know raw materials is kind of bad for health I know you know in Jamaica there is traditionally a lot of mining but the, the dust is really bad for the health of people and there's not too much left anymore so I think that's that's a really important part for um, using your technology and how fast do you think you will be able to you know give this to the world to use basically <laughs> yeah we're hoping you know to Get get a site up and running uh, in the next you know twenty twenty three and, and there'll be a lot of research and um, you know I definitely want the Saeed to be part of that he's uh, he finished his bachelor degree so <clears throat> we're gonna be hiring hopefully if if our investors come through <clears throat> and then you know it, I'm sure it would take a full year to get towards that but possibly twenty twenty four but and do you see the market to be more in the U.S. or more in Europe? I kind of see more pressure in Europe and here. I have the yeah. feeling, I don't know, I don't know enough, but um, that EVs, people are pretty happy with EVs, but in Europe people want to use hydrogen uh, fuel for cars. Like, is yeah. there a difference and are you maybe thinking of starting in Europe or here or... Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, you know, if once we get get it working on large scale, then yeah, we could go anywhere. And you're right. The pressure and <clears throat> it's pretty amazing. Like the most of the news articles that, that we share with each other is coming out of Europe. And and even um, our IP person was in Santa Cruz. There was a company from France with hydrogen powered bikes, and so they had a hybrid half, you know, lithium battery half 
hydrogen. Next year, they're going to release only hydrogen. So you have this cartridge, and it goes 100 kilometers. Now, that you have to assist your bike. <laughs> but um, it's, uh, yeah, there's, there's future there, too. Um, Europe, for sure, is, is, and they're under an energy crisis, literally. So it's, it's more of a more pressure there, like you said. Isn't um, how flight started more like, you know, Hindenburg, I know everyone knows probably about that, but like, wasn't the beginning of like flying uh, large scale freights like, oh yeah, yeah. with hydrogen and I think yeah. they are still in Germany and so I think in East Germany place where they built the the you know the big balloons <laughs> yeah no, totally. it's, it's really amazing like it's it's too bad about the hindenburg you know i, I always think of that and uh blood zeppelin one cover like it's <laughs> that comes to mind because uh but it's there were problems with that ship apparently in terms of uh, spark i don't know i saw i'm like i said i'm from the 70s so i saw the movie <laughs> in the 70s but um uh total fiction but uh Helium is not viable because it's running out. So, and hydrogen's even lighter. So, you could use, in principle, you could use the hydrogen as the energy source and delivery mechanism. So, you know, it's something I hadn't realized till recently that, okay, you could deliver instead of the, you know, when we, it's really expensive to move um, natural gas and, and oil, you know, overseas. They're starting to do that, like in Germ with Germany's crisis. Um, but with a balloon, you could have you could have goods shipped as well as the energy um, at the same time. So I think there's future there. Yeah, I think that's the really promising part of it also. Uh, because I feel like we need to get away from all these trucks, maybe. Yep. Mm -hmm. Well, it depends on what the trucks run. I mean, there's already infrastructure for the trucks, so. Right. Kind of, um, but, hydrogen trucks now, uh, they're prototypes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So probably every, we need it everywhere. <laughs> and, yeah. um, yeah, um, Jamie's joined the stage. Jamie, did you have a question? Yes. Thank you, Katarina. Hi, Dr. Green. Thank you so much for the talk. This is incredibly interesting and your, the work is really, really exciting and remarkable here. Um, I was wondering, am I understanding this right? And this is saying that it's actually, you're able to take um, substances that are actually quite prevalent around the world and even in our homes and turn this into uh, this renewable energy source so that we maybe have a, maybe even a separate recycle bin to put aluminium things in that can go straight to some kind of place to have them transferred to this fuel source that you're talking about. Is that something yeah. that could be possible? Totally, yeah. Instead of <clears throat> instead of putting your um, aluminum in the recycling and then it gets hauled off, you just use it in your house to feed this reaction and get energy back. Um, of course, then you'd have the aluminum oxide to uh, ship off, but at least you have you know instead of just tossing the aluminum, you get energy out of it. That's incredibly exciting. And do you think that um, this uh, is this going to be in the are you envisioning this becoming new different types of batteries? Like, would I buy a packet of six of these hydrogen things? Or is it like something that would be fitted into something when you buy it? 
and been charged later on, how would that work? Yeah. Or is this, am I taking it to engineering either? Yeah, we're sort of picturing like a, um, a sort of a closed box with our, our alloy in there and then you just feed in water. And so once it's spent, you could send it back. That's one model. And then, we, you know, we could sell cartridges with the alloy and that, that type of thing, at least on the small scale. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. Like when they talk about fuel cell, um, methanol fuel cell, I remember years ago when I teach materials chemistry, they were talking about capsules of uh, methanol that you put to your phone, you know, when you run out and you buy some extra capsules. It's kind of like that, but um, yeah. Is, does this mean then that we might actually potentially see cars that can had jokingly like run on water? Then like we've got <laughs> the hydrogen cell and we just pour in something from the tap or something and boom, that's us filled up for the day. That'd be incredible. In principle, yeah. I mean, you could, <clears throat> like someone asked about deactivation, like the, the agitation of driving might not be good uh so we we what we're picturing you know is fill up stations so we would you know like a like like a gas station but instead of hydrogen and people would fill up their hydrogen car their tanks would get filled which already exists you know that, that california has a network of hydrogen stations and i saw a map recently the uk has there's one in northern ireland and then there's a hand like a few in scotland and a, a bunch around london kind of thing <laughs> That's amazing. And one last question then, because this is sounding like the kind of thing that the world is screaming out for at the moment, right? Because that would be able allow us to detach from so many, many things that it would take another room to go through all the things that it would save us from. But um, I only mentioned, asked this because you mentioned you're starting up a company, um, getting involved with this, and that's great. I'm totally supporting that. Do you have any particular position to make sure that like uh, another massive company doesn't come and buy it and either shut it down or lock it up or make it sourcely from them so that they can charge exorbitant prices? And do you have anything in plan to try and make sure that it's able to be spread around? Yeah, so that's, yeah, that's kind of top of my mind. Um, we got to move fast and we have IP protection in the US. So we have, uh, you know, patent pending in the US and so there's that part um, and then we're going to you know as we build up more IP we'll, we'll be going after world protection but uh, and you know like like the, my partners say that that doesn't protect you necessarily so uh, we just have to be move fast and um, get things going as quickly as possible and we seem to have investors interested enough uh, to be able to do that you know, and hire people in and get things moving. I'm very much rooting for you here, Doctor. I'm looking forward to seeing more about this. And please thank that student that suffered for science when he got part. <laughs> I hope he's okay. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, he, it wasn't too you. bad. Yeah, thank you very much. Good. And thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Yeah, I I agree with Jamie. <laughs> um, and yeah, we all wish you you know, all the best because, you know, those technologies are really important for our future. And um, also thank you for working on this and, you know, <laughs> using your 
brains uh, and everyone involved to do this type of projects. There are many people that, um, you know, use their brain to work on Wall Street. But <laughs> 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 so it's, yeah. always, it's always so, um, I don't know, uplifting to uh, hear that. So inviting speakers like you is not altruistic. It's like <laughs> to not be the press. <laughs> No, but seriously, uh, it's really uplifting to hear um, the progress you are making and, um, and we will be following your work. Do you have time for one more question? Einar just uh, joined the stage. Great. Yep. Einar, go ahead. Yeah, hi, everyone. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, quick question. Um, so this is fascinating, uh, but is it necessary to uh, enhance the EE waste management when it comes to gallium. Uh, thinking of the technology as mobile phones, etc., uh, to yeah. make it sustainable. Or any thoughts around that? Yeah. Thank you. Uh, well, thank you. Um, yeah. So I went to USGS has a good reports. Um, was it element reports uh, summaries each year? And yeah. Most of the galliums from China, <laughs> and um, but it's used so much in LEDs that there, it's more in Europe as usual. But there is like recycling efforts in the U.S. There's one in, uh, I think it's in Utah. But if yeah, if that could be, you know, more effort put into that, then it might be possible to get the gallium back out of those devices. And yeah, it's isn't. Because usually it's in trace amounts for uh, like as a dopant um, for semiconductors, um, you know, it need to be a large scale effort. But uh, I think it's on the other, was it 400,000 kilograms a year production of new gallium? So it's not that much per se, but fortunately we can reuse it. We just have to push that as far as we can. Ah, thank you very much. Yeah, cool. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, we had the, how would the extraction work? I know we had the guest speaker here a while ago that talked about getting rare earth materials out of, mm -hmm. um, you know, devices with zapping them, basically. So to kind of make it more efficient, would that be a similar system? Hmm, I have not looked into what method they're using. I since I'm a chemist, I always think of solvents, you know, nasty solvents. And I, and, you know, I thought about at one point subliming gallium, but, you know, it melts so easily, but it turns out it's really hard to evaporate, like really high temperature evaporation. So that can't be it. But yeah, I'll, I'll look more into it. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. He, he developed a new method that you basically don't need this high temperature. You just zap mm. them with, and then um, you you know it's more energy efficient. Um, yeah. If you're interested, I can look up the paper. I don't you yeah, know have it right now, but yeah, that would maybe be interesting to have like a full loop type of situation. Yeah, it would right. be also cheaper, right, for you guys then if you have like your own re cheap recycling place. Oh yeah, for sure. And so, um, that's right. The more you the more demand there is for something, the more the price goes up. Unless we use the hydrogen to transport 
and mine it, then maybe it's not so bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could use uh, balloons to get the gallium back from the mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, yeah, the the hour is up. We went tiny bit over, but um, thank you so much for coming here. And we are, as Jamie said, all rooting for you and um, for your company that, you know, it flourishes and gets a lot of funding and starts up fast. We all need it. And um, yeah, please feel free to come back anytime, maybe next year or so you have some updates. We would love to hear them and um, yeah, I wish you all the, we all wish you all the best. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Thank you so much and for all the questions. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and thank you everyone for participating, being here, posting comments, asking questions. And uh, we'll have um, next week rooms again. On Monday, we'll have Dr. Ed Boyden from MIT. Um, if you don't know him, look him up. He is a really amazing developer of tools for neuroscience. So he will talk about um, his work, um, tools that image and control the brain. And then we have a room about epigenetics. It's really interesting um, how epigenetic um, marks um, are inherited also via sperm and in two generations. Till now we kind of thought it's mostly egg-related and so on. So epigenetics is stuff that um, you don't change the genetic code, but um, you change stuff around the genetic code, so it's harder to read or easier to read. And it's kind of a short, more short-term way of keeping environmental information in biology. So it's it's kind of really exciting. We have a deep, um, about deep brain stimulation for depression. So um, yeah, check out the club, the schedule, if you're interested in things like this. And Scott, thank you so much again. We really appreciate it and enjoy your soon week, soon to come weekend, everyone. Thank you. Thank you again. Okay, I close the room in three, two, one. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye.